That song is so humbling for so many reasons. But I think about the times where I prove to God that I am not faithful. Like, I, yes, Lord, I'm in relationship with you, and I trust in you, and, and I believe your promises, and I'm going to fight through, and I'm going to be faithful no matter what life brings my way, and then I prove myself to really not be faithful after all. Because life is hard. It's full of hardship. And then I'm reminded, this is what's humbling, that even while I am faithless in my expressions toward my Savior and what He wants from me, He still remains faithful. He still proves Himself faithful over and over and over again. And He has provided us with this, His very precious and great promises to guide us and direct us and to bring us his truth and to to declare to us his promises and his yeses and his amens. And I am so thankful that we are in a church that believes in the soundness of and the proclamation of this book. I'm very happy that you are here today with us because we're going to open it up and see what God has to say to us today. So go ahead and have a seat. As you have a seat, if you remember um, last week, Bjorn took us to Genesis chapter 2, verses, I believe it was 4 to 14. And we're in a sermon series right now, How Did We Get Here? And of course, we're going back to the origins, actually how we got here, how we physically came to be. Um, God's six-day creation account where he created everything we see and know around us and then established man um, on earth and gave us a place to live. And, uh, and last week we see, we saw um, Bjorn, he took us through those verses 4 to 14. And verse 8 jumps out at me because of where we're going today. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. There was a place called Eden and he decided he wanted to have a garden there for mankind to live in and dwell in with who? With him in his presence, this perfect place He put man there. So he creates the garden. He takes man. He takes Adam and he places him in this garden. And then this garden possessed all of these crazy um, varieties of trees that he planted that were good, that were pleasant to the sight and good for for food. And then we see also that the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. Really wonderful... um, Really amazing, spectacular things that God created when he established this place called the Garden of Eden, and he placed man there. I, I uh, oftentimes find myself, especially when I read the account, wondering what the garden looked like. If these trees in and of themselves, if that is the only thing that's mentioned in verse 8, were pleasant to look at, I wonder what that even meant to say they were pleasant to look at. I think about a time where I was sitting, now this isn't a fruit tree, but I was sitting on a mountainside in Colorado in middle October. I could see the snow-capped Rocky Mountains to the west, and I could see all around me uh, the sun shining through these beautiful yellow aspen leaves with the white bark of the trees. Absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous setting. And I wonder... I wonder, what did the Garden of Eden look like when, I'm ex- when I experience something like that? Or the lush green of a, of a jungle forest in the Caribbean or Africa. Absolutely amazing places, declarations of God's glory. I wonder what the Garden of Eden looked like. But even more so, I wonder what the garden felt like. Because we can look at something and we can see its beauty and not necessarily experience it. But I wonder what, when we think about the Garden of Eden, what it actually felt like. And this I would ask you to say, take yourself, okay, where's my absolute favorite place on earth to go? Why does it feel so good at that place? I believe it's in large part because we are leaving the responsibilities that are behind us or or that, that make up our life, and we're going away for a week or two or three And we're going to experience life apart from responsibility in this place that's pleasing to the eye. I'm going to eat as I want to eat during this vacation experience. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to have my coffee. I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to sit on it. And I'm going to enjoy the sun. And I'm going to come back. And I'm going to have a good dinner. And then I'm going to sit around and do whatever. And then go to bed. Simple life. I wonder what the Garden of Eden felt like. 
I believe it actually felt more like home than it did vacation because home is a place of safety. I had a friend of mine ask me, when you drove home from college, from Indiana to the state of Pennsylvania, when you drove home, when did it feel like you were home? Well, as a, as a, as a young man from 18 to 21 years old, when I crossed the east, excuse me, the West Mountain to the Cumberland Valley where I lived, that's when it felt like I was actually home. But when I go to when I was a little kid, anything I could see with my eyes that, were, that was around where I lived felt like home to me. And it felt safe. It felt secure. It was fun. My grandparents lived 200 yards away on a farm, full of fun. Absolutely beautiful things to look at. An old Methodist church, 140 years old or so, at the bottom of the hill that I lived on. Wonderful things to look at, wonderful things to experience. It was a safe place, and it was a place of fulfillment. What did, Garden, what did the Garden of Eden look like? What did it feel like? And then, of course, we know what made it so special. It wasn't because of what it looked like. It wasn't because of what it felt like. It was because who was there. Yes, Adam was placed there, but we are going to learn in Genesis chapter 3 that that's a place where God would choose to walk in the cool of the evening. God's presence was there. That's what made the Garden of Eden so special. He chose to place man in this place where he would be with man, sharing in relationship with him. The description of God walking in the garden suggests that there was an enjoyment of fellowship between him, between God, and Adam, our first parents, Adam and Eve. It was the right place. It had the right relationship. It was a place of meaning. It was a place full of purpose. The Garden of Eden was a place where there was fulfillment, the experiencing of complete and utter peace and joy. It's the place to go to for vacation and never return. This is what the Garden of Eden was like. And if I could put it in these terms, the Garden of Eden was a place where true life was intended to be experienced. It's a place where, we were, where mankind was intended to experience true life, life in relationship with our creator God. Everything was right and nothing was wrong. Everything was driven in the Garden of Eden by the presence of God. If you think about your favorite vacation spot, not everyone is pleased. We can't go skiing together as a family because Wendy doesn't like the cold and she struggles in the snow. We don't like going to the, well, we can't go to the beach because Caden doesn't like the sand. My brother-in-law can't stand the heat. Not everyone is happy with wherever we choose to go for vacation. But here's what I know, a place like Garden of Eden, the presence of God being there in this perfect creation is a place where everyone can go and enjoy themselves to their fullest. True life was intended to be experienced in the Garden of Eden. You didn't have to go to your favorite place to escape. This was the place to be. It was a place full of... Now listen, here we go. We're about ready to roll into today's passage. It was a place full of purpose, not just an escape. Because look, you can go to your favorite vacation spot and after about a a week, two weeks maybe, you're already looking and ready to come home to responsibility because you know there is where life's purpose is. You can't always escape. You have to come back. But in the Garden of Eden, it was a place full of purpose. God placed man there, and he gave him work to do and to keep the garden. It was a place of purpose. It was a place of providence. When you go on vacation, hey, listen, money runs out. You eventually have to come home, and you have to eat what's in the cupboards at home. You can't afford to stay on vacation forever. But in the garden, God's providence was there, and it was perfect as God provided. And then... It was a place that was safe. It felt like home. Nothing could bother you there. Nothing could harm you there. It was a place that was safe. Yes, because it was the garden, but more importantly so, it's because the presence of God was in the garden. Garden life. I believe that we can experience garden life, true life, the way it was intended to be while here on earth, Yet while it will, exp- it will feel like in many regards a shadow 
of what was and what is to come, I believe we can still experience it if we're living life on purpose, if we're living life um, receiving that which God has provided for us, and we are receiving and enter into his protection. So before we turn to today's passage, of course, we need to pray. And I want to say this. I know there are many, many, many that are committed to praying for myself and the other guys that deliver the word. I am so very thankful for that. I, I believe this with all my might. There is not a single word that can be spoken um, if it's not covered with prayer that's going to have any significant spiritual difference. And so I am so thankful that there are many in our church that are committed to praying. And so I would ask you, continue to pray. Continue to pray, Lord, Lord, speak through Todd. May we hear your words and not his. Pray that the Holy Spirit would pour himself out on you today in magnificent ways, that he would reveal himself to you and that he would do a mighty work in your heart today. Lord, we come before you right now and we ask those things of you. Lord, as we, as we settle in now with your word in front of us, I'm asking Father God, just as your promises always remain true, that you would open our eyes to see you and what you have for us in this, that you would open up our hearts, Lord, Lord, break the hard-hearted, bring encouragement to the one that's weary today, strength to the one that's weary, bring encouragement to the one, Lord, that's, excuse me, struggling with anxiety or or impatience or um, fear, And I ask, Lord, that you would be the one that would speak today. We commit the rest of this time we have together now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Garden life. Turn with me now, if you will, to um, Genesis chapter 2. That's where we are. And we're going to look at three verses today. Praise the Lord. It's only three. Um, because as the staff and, and I wrestle over how we should preach, what we should preach, um, it's really, when you, when you take three verses like this and you look at them, you're like, oh my goodness, there's no way to add another verse on the end or the front end, back end of this or front end of this. There's too much to say. There's too much to get out of this. So here we go. Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 15 and through 17. Verse 15 says this, that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Garden life can be experienced. And I believe, even though this was written about the first experience in the garden, as we see Adam with God and the responsibilities that were laid out for him and the the providence that God extended to him and the protection that he provided for him, this still applies to us today, even though this happened thousands of years ago. True life, true life, garden life, if you will, true life can only be experienced when it can only be experienced when we accept number 1 we accept God's determined purpose look at verse 15 the lord god what did he do he took man this was his decision it was his choice to take adam and place him he put him in the garden of eden and he gave him responsibility he gave him a purpose for existing there This isn't just a trip to the beach for a week to sit around and do nothing. It's not a trip to the mountains to sit and wait on the biggest buck to walk by. It's not a trip to wherever your trip takes you, in your camper or in your boat. This is a place where God designed a purpose for Adam to have as he existed in the garden. He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, we we read this verse and, and we... We can't help but think of what work means since the fall. Since Adam chose, Adam chose with Eve to take from the tree that God said, don't take it. Boom, introduction to the fall. We are now exposed to sin and to evil and we experience death. And work is a pain in the rear. Think about your favorite worst Monday. 
as you walk into your workplace, that's not what Adam experienced when God assigned to him to work it and to keep it. No one wants to hear that. All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in this beautiful place, but you're going to work. When I hear that, I'm like, that doesn't sound like fun to me, unless it involves skis on my feet. Work doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound good to me. But here's what we know. When God put him there, that actually means, if you read it in its original context, that it was actually a place of rest. To put him, put him there, it was God giving him a restful place where he could work and keep what God had placed before him. Adam was to serve God in the place God determined and in the way God determined. Let me say that again. Simply put, this is the way it is. Adam was to serve God in the place that God determined and in the way that God determined. To work it and keep it, purposeful existence. It wasn't a vacation. It was better and it included work. His purpose was to please the Father, to be pleasing to the Father, while he performed good things in the garden. Look at it this way. My, my dad, had a, he had a 1966 Pontiac GTO. This is kind of the way I think about it. I found pleasure in washing that car because it meant something to my dad. And, uh, and I remember one day I washed it, and I'm, I'm a recovering perfectionist, so back in the, I don't, ha- I don't pay, if you saw my car today, you'd be like, yeah, you're not a perfectionist. Um, but back then, I took great pride in taking care of what was my father's. And I told him, I said, come on out. I said, I want you to show you. I just washed the GTO. And he came out, and uh, he looked at it, and he was, like, he was making over where it was clean. But he said, take a look at this. And he went, uh, now, now, back then, they put chrome um, strips around the wheel wells to dress it up a little bit. And he took his finger inside the wheel well, and he went like that. And he said, look, it was dirty. You know what? I was okay with that because of the way my dad approached it, yes. But my desire was to please my father as I did the work that he assigned me to do, taking care of the very thing that he asked me to take care of. Probably not washing cars in the garden, but Adam was taking care of the very thing that God placed in front of him to take care of. What does this mean for us now as we look at what The intention was for God with Adam as he placed him in the garden. How does this apply to us today? This is hard. God is the one who determines where you will be and how you will be. He has determined what your work will be and how it should be performed. Purposeful existence. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says to us, after the fall, yes, it's not like it was for Adam working in the garden. It's not like that for us. But listen to what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says. For we are whose workmanship? We are his workmanship. He made us exactly the way he wanted us to be in order that he created Christ. Let me start over. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works works that he has established for us, which God prepared when beforehand that we should walk in them. Simply put, God has determined who you are. He has gifted you the way he wants you to be gifted in order to, to perform the work that he has for you to do. And I can tell you this, it is purposeful. It has meaning. And when you do it in accordance with God's plan in his place, it will be rewarding and you will experience purpose and you will find enjoyment even in your work. There's so much to say about this. Here's the way I look at it. Kids, before the age of 10, you're living in your parents' home and uh, this is what you do. You do everything you can that involves play that your parents will permit. Your kids' Number one goal is to play and to eat candy. That's their purposeful existence right now. It's what they're going after. They roll into their, into their middle teen years and their late teen years and their middle teen years. They start expressing themselves more and more and their purpose for life is to continue to satisfy themselves. And then they hit the late teenage years. They exit high school. 
God is moving them on. They have determined either I'm going into the military, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to start my first job and make money and buy new cars. This is their purposeful existence. But then when you hit like 2021, you're like, what am, what am I doing with my life? What is my purpose for this life? It's the first time I really believe me personally started to really think through what is my purpose for life? Because I just thought out of high school, right into college, not, no thought, that's just the next thing I was going to do. No purposeful thought to that. Lord, what do you have for me? Then for the young adult that makes it through college, they move home or they go wherever, they start their job and they start realizing, oh my goodness, I'm not married yet. I need to find my wife. I need to find my husband. Purposeful existence. Do we consider, is this what God intends for me to do instead of is this what satisfies me? God brings purpose to those types of things. I want to say a word to the young moms right now. As I read through this and and considered purposeful existence, I see the young mom that, that got married She now has two or three or four kids running around the house. She's tied to the home. Many are homeschooling now. And she's starting to wonder, what's my purpose in life? I don't feel like this is enough. Well, listen to this. Adam, God assigned to Eve this. I am going to make Adam a helper fit for him. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. But the very first thing, past being a helper for Adam, that he speaks about Eve is this. And it does come after the fall. It's speaking in regard to the curse to the woman. He said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. You're going to have kids. You're going to multiply your family through childbirth. He's speaking to them as what? A mom, as a mother. That's verse 16 in chapter 3 and verse 20 of the same chapter, the man called his wife's name Eve because what? She was the mother of all living things. Helper to the man, giving birth, called mother. There is no, this is intended to be an encouragement for you young moms, there is no greater purpose in your life than to glorify God by being a mom to your kids. You don't need anything else outside that. Now, the day may come where your kids are in school and you're deciding, I want something to do. And maybe being your husband's helper means that sometimes you have to go out and you have to earn a dollar or two in order to make ends meet. Not against that. But you find your purpose in being a mom to your kids. What are the things? What are the things that we get mixed up in? Kids? that don't possess any real purpose for living. Kids, here's one. Do you want to be the best gamer ever? Men, do you want to be a better hitter in the game of softball? Do you want to be the one that brings home the biggest buck that hangs on the wall? Do you want the biggest fish? Do you want to, are you the one that pursues those types of things? Nothing wrong with them. I do them myself. And it's a way for us to experience God's creation. But is that your purpose? Is that your purpose? Men, what is your purpose? Ladies, best dressed? Are you looking for a personal career? Do you want to chip in Joanna Gaines' kitchen? What are these things that you pursue that you really think, Lord, is, what is the real and true purpose in this? Am I glorifying you? Am I honoring you? Am I living where you have me to live, performing the deeds that you have me to perf- perform in and for you? God assigns to us purpose. What do you believe he's calling you to? What is your purpose for life? We've got to keep moving. If we want to experience life as God intends it, we must first accept God's determined purpose, what he has for each one of us. Here's the second one. True life or garden life can only be experienced when we receive God's abundant provision. When we receive his abundant provision. Now listen to this. If you're taking notes, add this to that one. Receiving God's abundant provision and are content with it. You're content with it. You know what's crazy to me? Look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of of every tree. It could also be translated any tree. 
And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every or of any tree in the garden. Imagine that. God had to command Adam to eat. Now the command isn't finished. We're going to look at the rest of that in verse 17. But imagine, God commands Adam to eat. Now you have, I don't know how many different varieties there were. Let's, let's say our minds would be blown by the number of varieties of different plants that were in the garden. But when's the worst time to go grocery shopping? When you're hungry. I can't imagine Adam walking past these trees that were pleasant to the eyes and good for food and saying, I'm not into that today. I'm not into that today. Eventually, eventually, he's going to want to try one of those. It's really weird that God would command him to do that he would have to eat. I command you, eat of any tree of the garden. Adam's standing before all these trees, not feeling it today. It's like me standing in the chip aisle of the grocery store or the freezer or the refrigerator section full of meat and saying, yeah, after I haven't eaten for a day and saying, yeah, I'm not into that. There's some fun things to wrestle over. Do you think Adam even experienced hunger? Varieties. Do you think he ever got bored with one particular kind of fruit that God provided for him? Here's a good one for you. If Adam was perfect in his creation, he was created with a digestive tract. Do you think that Adam, in his perfection, with perfect food in front of him, do you think he processed it completely? There was no exit strategy for what's left over. There's only the creation of a digestive system. Was God actually intending for that, for mankind to have a digestive system? Because he knew that one day, after the fall, mankind would start falling apart and not process things the way he did beforehand. Listen, this is all fun. There are so many things about Scripture that are fun to really spend time going through. And hey, I wonder, what if, what if? There are so many things about Scripture that we don't even, it's fun to wrestle over, but we don't really need to know the answer for that. What we know is God provided for Adam. He said, you can have all of this to eat. Any tree in the garden. Any tree. And it is yours to eat. God provides for him. We must receive God's abundant provision. Any tree in the garden. After the fall, what does this mean for us today? How do you treat food? Do you think Adam overate? Do you treat food like it's a right or a privilege? What are the things about food that you take for granted? I think of the time where we uh, were in relationship with a, um, a church in Liberia, West Africa. The first time I went, it was the poor, third, second or third poorest country in the world. Grocery stores were not a thing when I was in Liberia. It was these open-air meat markets with flies and just rough. And I think about the first time he walked into a mire. He didn't hardly know what to do with himself when he saw what we have access to. We don't just have one type of chip to choose from. We have an entire aisle full. We don't just have one sort of cereal to choose from. We have an entire aisle full. We don't just have beef. We have, and the list goes on and on. What are the things that we take for granted as it relates to God's provision? Receiving God's abundant provision is what he brings us to, and we must be content with it. We must be content with it. Are you content? How do you treat food? As a right or a privilege? When you go to a restaurant and you order your steak medium and they bring it medium well, do you grumble and complain and ask for a new one? How do you treat food? Do you sit down with your favorite snack and eat the entire box or bag? Or do you use it as a treat? How do you treat food? Receiving God's abundant provision, we must be content with it. 
Hey, listen, if, we're, if we want to experience life as God intends, we must accept God's determined purpose for our lives. We also must um, receive God's abundant provision and be content with it. All right, here's a third one, okay? This is verse 17. Look at verse 17. True life can be, only be experienced when we accept God's protection, his protection. So verse 16 starts out, and the Lord God commanded, and he says in verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Every time I read this, every time I read this account, every time I read these words and roll into chapter three, I'm like, how many times did you do this? Ah, don't do it this time, Adam. Don't do it this time, Eve. Scripture's full of those, full of those things, full of those types of stories. Adam, or excuse me, Moses, Moses, I know your people are grumbling and complaining, but don't strike the rock. Don't do it that way. Do it the way God said to do it. Provide water for your people just as God said. Don't strike the rock because then you'll be able to see the pro- be more than just see the promised land. You'll get to go into it and experience it. And then I look at David. David standing in whatever his palace looked like, looking out the window, and he sees Bathsheba. I'm like, come on, David, not this time. Don't do it. How many times do we do that? Don't do it. You're about to make a mess. Stop. And he doesn't do it. Or he doesn't stop. He keeps going. Now look at Jesus. I'm like, come on now, Jesus. There's another way. You know there's another way. I feel like Peter. Far be it from you. It's not going to happen that way. And then I hear Jesus' rebuke saying, no, it must happen this way. I must go to the cross. I must go to the cross for you. How many times do you read story after story, account after account in the Bible that you wish, oh man, not this time. Don't do it that way this time. Adam had only known good and life. He didn't know evil and death. Really? One tree. Out of all the trees in the garden, one tree. I wonder why God put it there. Why didn't he put it somewhere around the corner where Adam wasn't standing in front of it? And we cannot be quick to point the finger at Adam because we are no different. We are Adam's son. We would have made the same choice. Why was there this tree placed in the midst of the garden that would end up being a a temptation too great for Adam and Eve to resist? What made the tree so tempting? So imagine now you're back in the grocery store and you have all of this, aisle after aisle after aisle of your favorite foods, and uh, and someone tells you, now listen, you can eat of all of this, but in that closet that says for um, authorized personnel only, you can't go in there and you can't have what's in there. Let's say we don't know any better. We walk after that door time and time again. We fill ourselves with what the grocery store has to offer, but we really wonder what's in there. I wonder what's in there. I wonder what, hey, we take a peek in and we see this green juice sitting on a shelf and we think, hey, that looks really good. It looks sweet, pleasing to the eye. I'm going to consume some of that. And then we find out it's cleaner. Or these little green pellets, they, they resemble they resemble M&Ms. Maybe they taste good and you find out they're actually poison to kill rats. It's amazing to me that when we tell our kids, don't, what do they do? They do. There's something about the don't do that that mankind has such a hard time listening to. We can't point a finger at Adam because this is us. When I read, when I read about David, I'm like, how many times did he walk past the window and, hey, there was Bathsheba, a really attractive woman on the roof. Next day, I wonder if she's out there again. Hey, I saw her bare naked back. 
Next day. God's saying, don't do it. He's saying, don't do it. And he stops and his gaze is longer this time. And he moves on. And then one day he decides, I'm just going to watch. And then he has to have it. He has to have it. Over and over again. I guarantee you God was saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. He said, but I got to have it. Got to have it. Got to have it. Before you know it, he has it. Makes an awful mess of his life and his family. That's us. That's us. Even for us who are in relationship with Jesus Christ. And we know, not supposed to do that. What do we do? We walk right into it. Knowing it's going to be harmful. There are so many things that we go after in a knee-jerk reaction that we don't intend to. And we're like, ah, I just blew it. Impatience, anger bursts out of me and I can't stop it. Lord, forgive me. There are those kind. And then there are the ones that King David, he prays, Lord, keep me far from presumptuous sins and hide, t- take care of my, um, the hidden faults that are inside of me. These presumptuous sins that we continue to walk into, the, the, the ones that we deliberately do knowing that we shouldn't. Hidden faults, I know they're in me, Lord. Declare me innocent of these. The knee-jerk reactions and patience, anger. It all comes from our flesh. We cannot point a finger at Adam. The very protection that God, he lays out in front of us. Don't go there because it won't go well. We cannot help ourselves. We need Jesus. Man. If we, you choose the most attractive sin in your life. Choose it right now. The most attractive sin in your life. And you put flesh on it. You put pages on it. You put an idea to it. You put money to it. You make it what you think it is. I guarantee you this. You, would, you will make that so beautiful. But if you take a moment... You say, I'm stepping away from God's protection. I'm opening it up. I peel the flesh off of this thing that I've made so attractive. You're going to see one of the most horrific things you will ever witness because it is sin. It is sin to the core. And God intends for us to stay away from it. He provides words of protection. Don't go there. Don't go there. And we do. We must make evil and death really, really ugly. And we may, must make trust and obedience really, really attractive. We can experience, even if it's just a whiff in this life, we can experience the fullness that God intended for mankind to experience in the garden. If we simple, simply listen to what God has to say to us living a life of purpose that he has designed for you, living a life full of accepting and receiving the fullness of his provision that he has for us and being content with it. And then living in his protection, staying away from the things that he doesn't have for us or want from us. How did we get here? Look at this. We're going to wrap it up right now. How did we get here? Look at. We know how Adam got there. He was placed in he was created by God. He was placed in the garden and he was given some things to do and he didn't listen. And we get here today because we make the same choices that Adam did. The fall came. The garden, listen to this. The garden was God's choice. He placed mankind there. God's choice. That's how we got there. 
How did we get here into this nasty, broken down, sinful world? It was man's choice. Man chose other than what God had for him. God chose, things went well. Man chose, things didn't go well. And here we are today. We make our own choices. I wish God, I wish that he would just take away my choices and make them all for me. But he permits me to make my own choices and I make them wrongly, declaring my ultimate need for the person of Jesus Christ. God chooses, things go well. Man chooses, things don't go well. And then we see God choosing again to bring his kingdom to us through the person of Jesus Christ. He makes a way for us to experience again life as it was in the garden. And while we still live, um, you know what? I think the disciples had it pretty good. They were able to walk with Jesus. Yet when I look at, would you rather walk with Jesus here on the earth, on earth in our fleshly broken down bodies, still tempted, still um, given to sin, or would you rather be back with God as things were in all of perfection, in unbroken, untainted relationship with God back in the garden? I, that's what I would choose. But right now, he has given us, through Jesus Christ, access to kingdom life here on earth. He's given us access to it through the cross of Jesus Christ as Jesus went and died there for us to pay the penalty for all of this mess that we make. He pays the penalty for us in his faithfulness. And he brings us into relationship with him and establishes us in his eternal kingdom. And we can experience even a shadow of the perfection of what he had for us beforehand, knowing that one day he's going to return and he's going to bring us in our fullness, into the fullness of his kingdom. God chooses, things go well. Man chooses, things don't go well. God chooses again to send Jesus and things get better again. All of a sudden, I love it. Garden life can truly be experienced, but it cannot be when you are in unbroken relationship with the Creator God. And the only way to experience relationship with our Creator God is through Jesus Christ. And apart from Him, you will have no everlasting, no real purpose for living. You will flounder, you will satisfy yourself, you will go after your own stuff, and at the end of life, you'll look back and say, Man, there had to be something better. There is. It's going after God's purpose for your life. You will constantly be dissatisfied with God's, dissatisfied with God's provision if you don't find your satisfaction in and through God himself, through Jesus Christ. And you will constantly be exposed to the attacks of the enemy if you remain in unbroken fellowship with Jesus Christ. The only answer is Jesus through the cross. That's the only way into the kingdom where we can have a life of purpose, of providence, and protection. It's the only way. So let me, it really comes down to a, it really comes down to trust. Do you trust God when he says, don't do this, but you can do this. Do you trust him? So I'm going to leave you with three questions, okay, that are unanswered. They're for you to answer, and they're all why questions. Our kids love to ask those, don't they? Why? Why? Let me ask you this. Why don't you pursue God's purpose for your life? Now, maybe you are, but I want you to think deep and hard. Why don't you? Why don't you pursue his purpose for your life? Why are you dissatisfied with the things that God provides for you? Number two. And then here's the last one. Why do you toy around with the things that God doesn't have for you? It comes down to a matter of trust. Purpose, provision, providence, all found through Jesus Christ. I would encourage you if, you, if you don't know fellowship with God through Jesus, it would be a shame for you to walk out of here and not run to him and give your life to him. Brother in Christ, sister in Christ, if you are dabbling in things that you shouldn't be and not finding your completion and satisfaction and purpose through Jesus, please don't. Come and talk to us. We are ready 
ready to help. All right? That's God's Word, and I pray that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you even now. Father, we do um, come to you in this moment. Lord, however you would see fit, tweak the heart of each one that's here. Lord, open, open the eyes of the individual to see you and to know you and to know, Lord, that that is where we find our purpose. Lord, bring purpose, bring meaning, bring fulfillment, bring satisfaction and protection to your family. And I pray this all, we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Remember that purpose, provision, protection. I don't know what it's like for you, but for me, there's often seasons where I have kind of a spiritual amnesia. And it's like I I know on paper who God is, but I forget to connect that to my need. And I I forget to find rest in his character and ability to do those things. So we're going to sing this song, Lord, I need you, because this is the right response to these things, to say, God, I need you. So for many, this will just be an affirmation of everything you've been going for this week. For some of you, this is returning home to come back to a place of humbling yourself and saying, God, I need you. And I want you to be these things for me. And I want to uh, take advantage of them and apply them to my life. So take some time to respond to the Lord with this song. God.
we need him, don't we? The first verse says, without you, I fall apart. Would you say my experience in life right now, is, is it falling apart? Search your heart. Is the falling apart as you're pressing towards God or away from him? Because I believe that's true without him. And as we make life more and more about not being with him, we will experience the falling apart of life, which we live in. It's the cursed life. Garden life sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It's because we're living the cursed life. But I'll tell you what's even better than the garden life. It's the kingdom life that is here and now. And the kingdom is coming. And with it, the glorified life that will be far better than anything Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. That's why now in the cursed life, we can lift our hands with joy, regardless of whatever's going on, with joy and happiness and sing to the Savior who secured everything for us. Jesus is the one we find our true purpose in. He's the way, the truth, and the life. The provision we need for the forgiveness of sins is found in Jesus, and the protection is found in Jesus. Because in Jesus, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That's a protection. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I have through faith in Jesus. I hope you have it as well. And if you don't, you come talk to someone. If you're not willing to talk to someone, you spend time today before, before the day's over praying and asking God to save you in the name of Jesus. And he will. Because all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, I hope you have a wonderful week. Hope you spend time loving those around you and living a life in the purpose that God created you for. And know this always, it is true 100% that you are loved.